Welcome back to another episode of Fight in Progress, a podcast conversation about our men and women in law enforcement and the challenges they face. With lead stress coach and founder of Under the Shield Foundation, Susan Simmons, and Arizona police officer, Ace Walker. Thank you to UFIT MMA and Jiu-Jitsu for supporting this episode. Their info is in the description below. And now a message from our new sponsor, FHE Health. This is Dr. Bo Nelson. I'm the Director of Clinical Services at FHE Health in Deerfield Beach, Florida. For over 20 years, FHE Health has been providing quality substance abuse and mental health services. An important part of our work is our Shatterproof program that works with first responders. We treat police, fire, EMS, military, and corrections officers in an environment that is supportive of them. We have a staff of trained professionals who understand the issues that first responders go through. Some of our staff are former first responders. We also have an innovative neurotherapy program that actually gets to the root of the problems that are faced by our first responders. This can include PTSD, depression, anxiety, and substance abuse disorders. At FHE Health, our Shatterproof program is designed to help the people who help others. We are committed to the first responder population, and we offer hope and healing. We have a room full today. Uh, I guess we can call it, we have an audience. We do. We actually have an audience coming. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Who will be here shortly. But we're excited. I'm going to actually let Chris introduce our guest because this was supposed to be a surprise guest, but I know how to work that man. And he was going, I'm not going to tell you anything about who I've got coming. It's going to be a big surprise. And I called him on the phone, asked one question. He starts spilling his guts. She kept your secret, though. She She told me that I was responsible for finding the guest. I'm like, well, this is easy. And I called the guy sitting to the right of me. So to the right of us on the couch is Andy. Andy Mack. Andy McElveen. What do you like to go by? Andy's fine. Andy's yeah. fine. Um, reason we had you on today, you uh, recently retired? Yes. Uh, we like retirees yes. in here because y'all uh, get to tell all the stories. Uh, you have no idea how great it is. <laughs> well, <laughs> roughly how long ago was that? Uh, almost a year and a half now. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, let's start from the beginning. Yes. When when did you go to the academy? Tell us a little bit about you. Wow. Um well, back in 1992, uh, I went to a reserve academy first uh, with the city of El Mirage. Oh, okay. Little, little tiny, little, back then it was small. Are you from Arizona? Oh, originally from Cleveland, Ohio. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. Product of my parents retiring and moving out here. Gotcha. So, uh, never looked back. Um, but in 1992 in uh, El Mirage, those smaller cities, El Mirage Surprise, they always sent their, their guys to a reserve academy mm-hmm. and hired from the reserve academy. So I did that for a couple of years in El Mirage and then um, just happened to see a flyer for Chandler PD hiring and I got hired by Chandler and ended up in the academy. Uh, oh, you had to do a full academy? Then then they sent me to a full academy. Um, apparently they didn't like hiring. Was it Tucson from, then? No, it was, it was Phoenix. Phoenix. It was Phoenix. And uh, it was an Alita class in Phoenix. And uh, uh, looking back, a uh, total of 27 years. And uh, there's life after life, law enforcement. Life after, work. yes. Look, a retiree, yes. he's still alive. He's in yep. good health. He's in great spirits. So, you know, there is hope for people. Can't wait. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that just begs the question what are you doing now? Oh, actually, um, the reason I left, um, I, I, was, I was in drop for a couple of years. I dropped at 25 years. 
Um, but I was kind of feeling it out in the private world and, uh, Arizona public service, APS was hiring, uh, for corporate security. And I thought, well, I'll throw my name in the hat. Um, and, uh, I didn't get hired. (laughs) I didn't, but they called me back and said, Hey, we have another job within corporate security. We think you'd be great for, would you mind coming checking it out? And, you know, Maybe doing a uh, kind of like a ride along in law enforcement terms, you know, a sit in over there. Sure. And I liked it and I applied and I got hired for that position instead. It's still under the corporate security realm, but it's dealing with critical infrastructure. And that's what you're currently doing. That's what doing. I currently do. Oh, and that's full time. It is full time. Nice. From his house. Well, so I'll, I'll, I'll kind of give his you. Phone. <laughs> yes. Well, I'll give you the gist. COVID hits. Yes. So. They need a somebody from security to run security for COVID. So APS now needs to realize they have to test their, uh, you know, crucial uh, employees to run the electric in the state. I mean, you can't. Can't shut obviously, down. Yeah, you can't shut down. I don't know, you can cause Send everybody home. Um, so I was tasked with being the security for all the COVID testing uh, mm. within the, the region of the Valley. And so two days a week, I go and do security for COVID testing, set up uh, the traffic uh, cones, set up the traffic flow, and also uh, any changes that need to be done, we consult with changes for the traffic, and everybody gets tested. It's interesting because it started out very big. I mean, it started out with, you know, the nose swabs. We had nurses. We had, we had a full gamut of people. Crazy. You know, it became real crazy at the beginning, and, and now it's tapered down, and they spit in the tube, and... And they oh, dropped you don't the even do the swabs you anymore? Do the swab anymore. Well, wait a minute. Now, we're hearing that the new thing now is going to be the anal swab. Yeah, no. That's so, not, I think y'all need to be doing coming. drive-through on no, that. No, that's and not I think coming. you need to be yeah. there. That's not coming anytime soon. So. Uh, but, <laughs> yeah, so that's, just spitting. So that's, that's awesome. where we're at. Yeah. Right on. Yeah. Well, good. Let's back up then. Yeah. 92, I'm assuming, after the academy, you were assigned to patrol? Yes. Do you, re- you remember, so roughly about 340 officers now, oh, I believe, wow, current? Yeah. Somewhere in there. Yeah, that's yeah. pretty close. Do you three, remember four, three, what six, it was two. back then? Well, when I went to Chandler, it was, wow, maybe 120, maybe. If really? That, if that. Really? If that. Mm-hmm. So you've really seen a lot of change, not just in the department, but in the city itself. Well, I think when I went over to Chandler, there, there were maybe 90,000 people. Right, but now we're close to 300,000. Yeah. See, I don't even so, know. So the change it's, it's, was huge. Yeah, there's yeah. been a lot of development over there. Oh, yeah. Akatil was not even a thing yet. You know, oh, wow. now it's, it's huge. It's, wow. Yeah, they got multi million dollar right. Right. whole sections of housing over there. Right. So you went into patrol? Went to patrol. First, let's go, over, yeah. let's go through your career. Oh, boy. Because okay. I know there's a lot of positions. There, there's here. a lot. Yeah, yeah. Was that because you were a troublemaker and people kept shoveling you off or what? No, it's because I, I wanted to be well-rounded. There you that's go. That's really, really it. I wanted to be well-rounded in everything I, I, I accomplished. And that's kind of the path I took through the entire career. Good for you. Um, so uh, while in patrol, I became an FTO. Right from FTO, I went to uh, the gang unit, which was the set team. From the gang unit, I went and taught at the high school's police sciences. Um, from police sciences, I went to uh, the bicycle team. From, well, wait a minute, now, did that make you an SRO? Were you actually nope. an SRO in the school? No, nope. I'm just... Uh, just strictly police science instructor, really? and I taught at uh, Hamilton, Chandler, and Basha. And that was full-time? Yeah. 
That was whole time. I've never, I've never even heard of that yeah. before. Me anywhere. neither. So what yeah. is police sciences? Just what it sounds <laughs> like. like. I, I actually, I actually, kind of well, the way I programmed it was kind of like the academy. What I would teach is, you know, the history of law enforcement and kind, kind of go through the, the, the idea of how law enforcement began and teach the kids that were interested in law enforcement uh-huh. um, about law enforcement. Now, the way I ran it though was very strict. It was kind of like the academy. If you're you come in that door, you stand at attention until the bell rings. If you're late, you come in and do push-ups. That's how it was. It was ran just like the academy. A lot of teachers didn't like that. They didn't. They didn't like it. But the kids, yeah. they said best class ever because we have discipline. None of Did our classes. Did you start are that, or was that something already? It was already there. And but, is it still going on? I don't. I don't know honestly. Chandler's big yeah. on the Explorer program They're, too, though, right? So yeah. this That's is a big deal else. to them. This whole yes. community. Yes. Yes. We're so. getting to that. We'll get there. Yeah. So. Uh, Police sciences. I did that for a few years. There's a long story to go with that, but we'll we'll kind of skip That's that for interesting. now. Yeah. So I had a great time with that. Um, uh, made a lot of differences in kids there. Um, from police sciences is when I went to the bike team. From the bike team, um, I got to think about this now. Um, oh, I took over the Explorer program at, from the bike team. I did that for several years, um, did the Explorers. In the meantime, I was a negotiator for the SWAT team as well. And uh, from Explorers, I went back to the road for a year, and then I went into the intelligence side. Um, so I was a detective in Intel mm-hmm. for my last, I want to say, five years. Wow. Maybe six years. Never a dull moment. I did. I read, I went to motor school, got my motor wings as well. So that was <laughs> just for fun. That was for fun. Yeah. Yeah. So I did that. So I did it's numerous, so numerous So the only things. thing you didn't do was aviation, but y'all don't even have aviation, don't have do aviation. you? So. No, no, no. So yeah. So I you should have started that, that while you were there. Uh-huh. That would have been a blast. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. So tying it back to Under the Shield and Susan and being contracted through the union. So you were around... From 92 on, you were around for all of our deaths. Yes, yeah. Starting with Snedeker and... Uh, actually, Richard Felix. Felix. Yeah, 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 I was. I was and when was, when was that one? That was really early on. I believe it was 94, 95, uh, really early on. He, um, I want to say he had a... I can't quote me on this, but I want to say he had a heart attack or That's something what, okay, on duty. Okay, that, that did here. Yeah, yes. and uh, yeah, so early on. Because yeah, I read an article recently that I happened to come across with a strange story um, that Snedeker was actually the first officer killed in the line of duty. And then somebody else mentioned that one and said, yes, but it was a heart attack. So right, right, right. It would right. be classified two different things. Right, yeah, Snedeker's hit pretty hard. Yeah. Yes. That's exactly what we talked about with mm-hmm. Tom Lovejoy two weeks ago is with the Tyler Britt thing, mm-hmm. all right. these others, you know, between Snedeker and uh, Moose and all these other, Ledesma, mm-hmm. they, there's someone to point the finger at. There's someone to, you know, right. someone shot him, someone right. turned in front of him, you know, that type of thing. With Tyler, it was a little bit different because we didn't have that to point the finger at anybody. It was just COVID, right. you know. And it, it makes a difference. And, and even though there were some, at least some time to prep for it, because pretty much you knew it was not going well for some time right. with him, what, several weeks. And so at least there's preparation time for the loss. But again, he's young. 
he's you know especially compared to me he's he's a baby compared to me but um, so is everybody in this room um but it's still the idea that there's nowhere to tag this we can't be mad at anybody no but i think just like in any family we're never prepared for death i mean whether it's sudden or if we're waiting for it to happen i mean it's and in law enforcement you guys know that you're a big family absolutely big family and when you're on your squad and you have teammates that you're with more than you are with your own family sure even then the the um the dealing with it it's the same you know whether they're shot or they die from a heart attack i think you're still dealing with the same loss yeah well i mean people in society have been talking about death forever because it's inevitable it's inevitable we still suck at it we still suck at dealing with it and being okay with it and acceptance and all we there's a ton of mess that comes with it we all know what's going to happen. We do. You know, yeah. I, I, I do a lot of motivational speaking with the youth and different programs. And there's always that one certain thing. We, we're, yeah. we're dying by the minute. None it doesn't matter. Out of here alive. Nothing's That's it. going to stop that from happening. Yep. We just don't know when. Sure. Well, and I laugh when you talk about it being a family because one of the first things I realized, because I started this company the same year you went to that first academy. Mm-hmm. And one of the first things I noticed was how... Y'all can dog each other all day long, but right. let a fireman or somebody from another agency, and it, boy, that's when the family part comes yep. out. Even if you don't like the person, right. sparks fly. Nobody yep. else is going to dog them. That's for sure. <laughs> so let's talk about the explorers. I yeah. know that you lived that position. I was involved with a little bit of it with right. you, and you made a difference in a lot of kids' lives. Can you speak on the explorer and the explorer competitions, yeah. stuff like that? probably one of the hardest things I've done really yeah dealing well because you're you're in charge of molding our future you know um, mm-hmm. when you deal with kids or you deal with uh, somebody who is looking up to you for guidance and support um, you have to be held to a certain standard when you do that sure you know? and um, you have kids from all walks of life I had Snedeker's kid in there and mm-hmm. that was probably one of the harder ones to have in there, knowing, Because he was, what, about seven when his dad was he killed? He was, he was. So you can be in Explorers out here at what age? Um, 14. Okay. And so when, when he was, when he, when he got in, he was a big story of mine because he was the toughest one to deal with. Because, and, and I, I hope I can share this, but sure. because of who he was, he was coddled. Yes. By a lot of people in the police department. Right. And because of that, he would get away with a lot of things. Mm-hmm. And But I wasn't going to have that because he was, what I wanted to teach was he's part of a group. Yes. And you're part of a program that you're part of a team. And you're doing too many things as an individual. We need to knock it off. Good for you. Well, what happened was I got called into a, an office with a lieutenant and his mother <laughs> and said, why are you making... A, B, and C happened. And I said, well, here's a list of things that he's done that are not part of the team. And they sat back and said, you're right. Do what you got to do. Nice. So, but I can tell you, because they let me make the changes, mm-hmm. he turned out to be a totally different kid. That's awesome. Yeah, it, it made a difference. And um, uh, I got a chance to run an Explorer competition. When I started the Explorer program, I had 12 kids. So you actually started, it was the first one? Well, I should say when I took it over, I had 12 kids. When I left, I had 60. Good grief. 
Yeah. I knew it was big. Jeez. Yeah. And uh, Chris was there with me through a lot of the uh, uh, competitions that we ran or even went to. Mm-hmm. And um, the kids were amazing. I mean, again, from all different economic backgrounds, diversity. Um, How did most of them even find out about the program? And it was it parents pushing them to be in it? Was it the kids wanted it? The kids wanted it. The kids wanted it. And, nice. you know, we'd go to the high schools. We'd talk about it in the high schools. Okay. Um, different church groups would talk about it. You know, we did a lot of uh, recruitment. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you had to meet certain criteria to be part of the program. So depending on their, you know, we do a background on them. They had to pass a background. Mm-hmm. Um, if they pass a background, then they start at the very bottom. It's, so it, no criminal activity at any level? Would, would that disqualify them? Um, no, not necessarily. Um, if there were things, I mean, we all make mistakes, especially at kids at their age, they, you know, uh, shoplifting and they got a shoplift. I mean, it's something that we can, we can work with as long as, um, there was something that they can prove to us that they're trying to be better or their grades. We even kept track of their, their school grades. They had to turn in report cards. Good. Yeah. Because wouldn't most of those records, because they'd be juveniles actually not be something you could access anyway? Not necessarily. It's not how it works when it's a local police department. Okay. You know, they all keep local records of any time there's contact. And okay. and they we would ask them right up front, have you, they'd have to fill out a full background just like you would as a police officer. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. And there was a lot so. of times that I know of, not to talk specifics, but where he'd be playing dad. Sure. Oh, yeah. have to you know, deal with behavioral issues or you name it. It's when you put 60 kids together, you know, stuff like that was happening. How many yeah. actually do you think actually became police officers? I can probably say at, off the top of my head, at least I know 20, at least. Jeez. At out of, least. Out of that 60. Yes, at least. That's a really high number. It is a very high number. It is an amazing high number. Yeah. Wow. It, yeah. It's, it's totally awesome to see, though. That's crazy. And I want to say there's probably... Maybe five of them in Chandler. There's like six in Mesa. Uh, Havasu. Uh, DPS has two or three. Yeah, they're scattered wow. all over the state. Do you hear from any of those? I do. I'm, I I, uh, I also coach at a gym. I, I, uh, physical fitness instructor. I do personal training. I do hit fitness. I do a lot of different things. And uh, one of, one of the, uh, the kids that I taught... Um, who is now on SWAT in another city? Then, yeah. um, he comes to the gym, and you know we talk it up about some of the other kids, and yeah, it's really cool. Yeah, he's to a see good them. kid. He, yeah. the one you're talking about, he's yeah. one of my favorites. Yeah. yeah, good kid. So I don't know if you know this or not, but the competition that Andy would put on, and it's it's still going on. Well, COVID shut it down, right? Yeah, this year. But it's known to be the premier explorer competition in the nation. Well, right? that's what I thought, which I and. I somehow tied that to Explorers started here in Chandler. But maybe it was just the competition part of it that I knew it was a big deal. Oh, it was. The competition started many, many years ago um, on a small scale, obviously. But it, it grew to 60 teams from out the entire United States. And uh, that bring a 1,000 kids into, into the town. And, wow. And we'd run a two-and-a-half-day competition. It, it, was, it was awesome. It was amazing. It was yeah. always here in Chandler? Always here in Chandler. Nice. Where they were filling hotels. Right. With wow. these and, teams coming right. in. And, wow. Yeah. It was it was amazing. And it was going on up to COVID? 
It was still happening? It was, yeah. And I'll tell you, it was, as far as I know, it was the biggest Explorer competition in the nation. Nice. And you bring those 60 teams together. Here's the hard part because it's what I had to do. Oh, boy. You have the teams and they put in what competition they want to do. You know, do they want to do SWAT Fitness Challenge or, you know, these these different, how many how many different? Different events. events we probably we had 16, 17 different events from hostage rescue to, um, you know, to uh, negotiations. We had negotiations. We had SWAT Fitness you know, we had, you name it, we had it. We had so many different team events from tug of war to, you know, pulling the, uh, well, that, the Batmobile. Um, so we had, we, you name it, we had, we had shooting competitions. Oh, wow. They'd go to our range and they'd shoot. I mean. And how many things could a team participate in? As many as we could fit on the right. schedule. And that's the hard part because some of it wasn't like he's talking about they'd go to the range. Uh-huh. Most of this is held at the fire training academy down at Queen Creek and Price. So we would have to allow time for them to get over to, so I would say most, there would be anywhere from nine to 11 yeah, maybe. was the most that they could fit in within that Jeez. for scheduling stuff. Right. And what's the age range here? 14 to 21. 21. They cut off at 21 when they're able to be uh, actually apply to be a law enforcement officer. There was SWAT fitness challenges, what I helped out with mm-hmm. and it was kind of a um, physical fitness challenge. Very, mm-hmm. very difficult. <laughs> right. To where we had to, Andy was worried about it there a little bit because it got too hard. And But the kids <laughs> would train for it all year long. Yeah, and I yeah. know kids that would, you know, tweak a knee or tweak an ankle in the middle of it and just be flat out crying because they couldn't finish. Oh. And so this competition, we know teams for a fact that would train year round wow. for this competition. Year round. How many females? There was quite a few. Not not as many as I'd like to see, but there there was mm-hmm. quite a few. I think each team had at least one or two, and there were twelve man teams at least. You know, you had some smaller teams, some larger teams, depending on what where they came from. And I can tell you this: some of those teams were more decked out than SWAT teams in the valley. <laughs> that's no joke. That's no joke. Oh, that's fun. You, get, no you get parents involved, man, with some funding. It gets a little out of hand. What's the farthest away <laughs> anybody came? Did you have ever come like from Canada or anywhere else? Owatonna, Minnesota. That's right. Yeah, that was the farthest. It's funny yeah. you remember that. Yeah. <laughs> so nobody one. from back east? You didn't well, get them out of farthest. New Jersey? No, no. Or Illinois. the east coast? We did have Chicago, Illinois, Fox Lake. Illinois. Come on, did my Alabama people show up? No. 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 Good grief. No. I'm all right. We're going to have to rattle some cages no. now. Make some That's out. just wrong. <laughs> it's too hot out here. <laughs> no, there's right. no humidity. They'll be you fine. Know, it's funny. <laughs> Speaking of that, you'd put this whole competition together. We've had years to where there's ice on right. some of the equipment as we start. You know, the frost because it was oh. so darn cold. Right. And yeah, but no, wait a minute. It was so cold. darn cold. Yeah, y'all start talking cold when it gets below 60. I have never seen anything like it in my life. Y'all bundle up with fur-trimmed collars and people out here walking. If yeah. it's 60 degrees, they've got, on, they've got on mittens and they've got on earmuffs. And I'm like in shorts and a T-shirt going, what is wrong with these people? Yeah, it was, it was 56 this morning and I'm wearing long socks, uh, two <sighs> pairs of pants, a long sleeve shirt and a jacket. And I'm comfortable. Yeah, y'all are unbelievable. I'd have the fan on if it was just yeah. me in here. But Desert rats. These people freeze. <laughs> well, let's switch. Too. Because I know something that's very big with Andy. Why 
especially as a police officer, why so much focus on physical fitness? Um, well, I wasn't always fit, you know, so I, I, I came across a time where I realized that I was out of shape and if I couldn't help somebody that was getting their butts whooped, what good am I? If I couldn't get over the wall to help the guy on the other side of the wall, what good am I? Mm-hmm. And, um, so I just, I focused on fitness and never looked back. Was there a particular event or anything that triggered it more? Uh, for me personally, there was, I, I think for, for me personally, there was, um, I got sick and ended up in the hospital for four days and, uh, I said, um, I, I need to do something. Mm-hmm. I need to eat different, eat better. And so I, I made a change there. Uh, one point, the true story, we had pitchers, right? Our police department pitchers. Mm-hmm. And I go, you got to wear your, you know, your nice class A. <laughs> yeah. And I go to put it on and button it. I couldn't button it. Oh, man. I literally, oh, no. I couldn't, oh, I couldn't no. button because my belly was sticking out. Oh, no. <laughs> true story. And all the guys are like, ah, you know, they're, you know how it is. Police department, yeah. they're oh, all yeah. Messing with you, and I said, "Okay, we'll see how this goes." Yeah. Then Chris and I make a deal: who can lose the most body fat quickest? <laughs> oh, he geez. won. And and I never, I never look back. And uh, so I, I've refocused a lot of my my energy on not only to helping adults in in the fitness side of things, um, but helping other officers and um, and kids too. Do you have a lot of officers coming to you now? I, I did early on, um, mm-hmm. not as much now since I've kind of moved, you know, away and off the grid a little bit away from law enforcement. But um, I still see the officers coming into the gym in the morning um, where I teach because mm-hmm. um, I teach two days a week at, at a gym. What do you Shannon. teach? Uh, group fitness. Oh, okay. Yeah, high intensity fitness mm-hmm. classes. And, um, you know, seeing those officers come in, it's a good release for them. I, I think, think more and more officers need that, but they don't, they're afraid. I think we need to volunteer Chris to come to class and we'll come video and then we can talk about it his on the class? podcast. Yeah, I like I've been to his class because before. Because <laughs> Ace did jiu-jitsu. Yeah. And, and I have those pictures. We haven't talked enough about those pictures because that was I actually... Got, I got to get you some new video because I've been going to Stay Ready Training from a couple of guys from county that put on a fight gym now. Uh-huh. And they are amazing. It is so much fun. Every Sunday I go for two hours and get my face kicked in. You need to go back to, to danger too, though. And yeah, That's such a long drive for me. Oh, wine, wine, wine. <laughs> Golly, I just whine all the time. But I think we need to volunteer you to go. Okay. And I'll come watch. On to the next subject. <laughs> um, I, I, I really do think that that's super important, though. I mean, we've talked about it a little bit before, like training and being fit and, I don't know, having the right mindset, like, that idea of being able to help your 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 buddies, right? Like, if I'm not capable, what am I doing out here? Right. Um, I heard it said, and I've I've said it on here. It wasn't my they're they're not my words, but when you put on the badge, you lose the right to not be in good shape anymore. I agree with that, and I I think that's a good concept to keep in mind. I mean, that's not what everybody keeps their heart to, but no. it's you know I think that's a good. We we give up a lot of our own personal goals and freedoms to decide to do this job. Um, there's things that we just can't do anymore. Right. Why do you think departments, because I, I have watched it in departments across the country go back and forth to where they'll they'll say, okay, you have to be able to continue to meet a standard th- 
throughout your mm-hmm. career and then they'll get away from it and then they'll go back to it and they'll get away from it. Why do you think there's so much vacillating about this being important? I know a police chief in uh, South Carolina who was a former Scottsdale uh, chief. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, he was a... Uh, um, assistant chief in Scottsdale, and he moved on, and uh, he makes it mandatory in his agency mm-hmm. to pass physical fitness or else you're out. And he told me that it is amazing to see the transformation of the guys when they want to do the job bad enough that they're going to get in shape to do it, mm-hmm. right? Well, it all goes back to uh, here in Arizona when it was mandatory, you had to give guys time on duty to work out. Right. Well, they got away from that, and somebody somebody along the way complained, you know, mm-hmm. and so they're not paying guys to work out on duty anymore, and then because of that, then guys just, there's no accountability, and that's the problem. Too. And I guess you really can't have it as a standard if you're not going to allow people to do it on duty. I disagree with that, actually. I think it should be a standard. I mean, I think it should, but I don't know how they, I, I think well, they'd probably run into some they, they might learn it, do, but it's, it should be accountability. If you mm-hmm. want to be a police officer in this agency, here's the standards. Yeah. You you can write general orders all you want, mm-hmm. and you want to enforce the general orders. Well, make it a general order. Make it a standard. You want to enforce it, you know, the fact that you got to wear your uniform and it's got to look this good. Well, you're part of the uniform. Sure. you got to fit in that uniform. Sure. So you For should sure. be part of that standard. And I think now, well, I mean, and and now is even different from what I was talking about years back. But now, because, heck, they have a hard time getting anybody to even meet basic qualifications. You know, when you start hearing of departments um, back east that are even lowering the standard to the point that you can have been convicted of drug distribution, which is a felony, but as long as you've been out of or the conviction was more than three years old and you go, well, they probably served at least three years. So what do you do? You set up your little job fair right, right. outside the, the prisons. Times are tough, man. Yeah. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and so, you know, now I, I can understand, but I think some of it came down to, too, that people at the top didn't want to set the standard because they weren't really out on patrol and stuff. And then, now they become overweight and out of shape, and it's kind of hard for them to tell the guys beneath them. And again, it's some of what we've talked about before, where they get up there and they forget where they came from. Right, I I do see that. I, uh, but with Chandler, I, I, our our command staff, they're in fairly decent shape. And yes, I, and I think they do want to see that. I think some of it, their hands are tied to with city yes. legalities, um, but it still should be a standard and. It's up to the individual, too, to hold themselves accountable. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the motivational speeches I do is called, and it talks about being stronger tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I give you guys a wristband. Yes, they're awesome. One. And it says, stronger tomorrow because of today. And the philosophy is this. If what you're doing right now is making you any weaker for tomorrow, why are you doing it? And that kind of goes the same way in law enforcement. If you're doing something right now that's going to make you weaker tomorrow, stop and reevaluate. You should always be doing something that's going to make you stronger for tomorrow, whether it's reading a book, uh, educating yourself on a new law, educating yourself on some kind of motivational aspect of life, um, or just getting in a gym. Mm-hmm. But there's no reason to do anything to make us weaker tomorrow. I mean, that's where our country's heading right now. Absolutely. Our country's heading in a direction to become weaker because nobody wants to make it stronger right. doing the right things. Right. Yes. Could Can you see it. why I skipped my Dr. Pepper this morning? Yeah, that was funny. Yeah. Yeah, he walk. He he, he normally he normally for the audience normally walks in here with a 
44 ounce. 44 ounce. Dr. Pepper, not sugar-free or diet. <laughs> Easy on the ice. Andy and I have yeah. been friends a long time. Yeah. And he was afraid to walk in here yep. today with it. So today I actually gave him a bottle of water. Yes, so he's at least doing something a little healthier here today. Yeah. yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead. Yeah. So this isn't just about, to tell you a little bit about Andy, this is just not about physical fitness. Right. Mm-hmm. It's about the mental aspect of it too. And Andy taught a class, we'll call it. True, mm-hmm. Was it called Truth Behind, Truth the, behind ba- the Badge? Truth Behind the Badge. And in Truth Behind the Badge, if I remember right, because it's a Uh-oh. it's a very very emotional topic that he covers. Uh, you start with a baby drowning, right? So, uh, um, so truth behind a badge. So, so I'll tell you how it began real quick. Somebody had asked me. A friend of mine said, "Hey, can you come teach a class for me about law enforcement at one of my college classes?" Mm-hmm. And I said, "Only if I can talk the truth." I said, "Because I'm not. I don't want to sugarcoat it." So what I what I did is I went in and said I started from the beginning. I started from um, becoming a child, mm-hmm. um, you know, what, what experiences do we have as a child that introduce us to law enforcement, right? Sure. Um, and so I kind of went that route. Okay. So as a teenager, what are your experiences? A lot of them are bad as a teenager because you, you just get in trouble <laughs> or, or, you know, people are talking negative about law enforcement, um, or TV, you watch TV shows yes. and you see cops live or you watch, you know, Hawaii Five O, and you hear, you see all these really cool things on TV. So you have these experiences, and then when you decide to take that step to be a law enforcement officer, a lot of things change. Mm-hmm. Um, one, you go to an academy, and the academy doesn't give you real-life stuff. It's all fun and games because it's all scenario-based. Sure. And then in real life, that's when you truly understand law enforcement. And within, it could be a year, it could be two years, you're going to realize if you're cut out or not for yes. it. And um, I do play some audio of a child drowning mm-hmm. and in the background you can hear the screaming through 911 of the people there and I mean when I say people there's five or six people screaming oh my gosh oh my gosh my baby my baby my baby mm-hmm. and then you hear oh there's a police officer here and they automatically assumed that okay we're, we're good now there's a police officer here because the police is going to show up faster in the fire department in that situation sure. well the entire time, and I, I'm speaking to an audience that are citizens. They have no clue what we deal with on a daily basis, right? right? And I ask the audience to put yourself in the position of that police officer at that moment when they are looked at as the savior, the hero, and you are looked upon at the people um, that you're responding to to do the right thing and save that baby. And it is up to you and you only to remember CPR, to keep everybody calm, to try to save that baby to get the baby the help. And if that baby doesn't live, then you have to answer to the people that are standing over you asking you why you weren't able to save their child. Exactly. And when I talk to the citizens about that, I want the citizens to understand the emotions and the feelings that we go through because they don't see that on the news and they don't see it on TV. Certainly not. And then I go through other stages of law enforcement where we have to knock on somebody's door and explain that their loved one isn't returning home. And then Mm -hmm. we have to become the person that they rely upon at that very moment to hold them and to sit them on a couch and ask them, who can we call to help you? You know, we're their, we're their only line right then for help. Or they become angry at you. Or they become angry. And so basically what I try to do within the truth behind the badge is bring it out to the community that we as law enforcement officers just go, don't go and break up parties and go to burglary calls. We deal with every single day life that people need us for help, period. 
There is no turning back and every day is different. Mm -hmm. And as a police officer, our emotions can go from being great and happy because we, you know, we were able to find a little child's bike and bring it back to him to having to deal with a very bad car accident where, you know, we're having to hold somebody's leg together. Sure. Um, and, and our general public, they don't understand that. They don't. And that's probably, to me, one of the um, parts that I feel like law enforcement drops the ball, meaning at the upper levels, that I'm finding that over, especially the last 15 years, they almost try to shelter the public from the reality, which has been an argument that a lot of people have made about why departments are hesitant to even bring my class in talking about mental wellness because they, what the officers say is, is that top doesn't want you to come in because if they allow you to, they're admitting that there may be problems within the department or themselves of mental issues. And we're not talking about mental illness, right? Schizophrenia stuff. And I go, but guys, it's time to start admitting that we're dealing with human beings here who have special skills and talents. We train you to be problem solvers. We forget to tell you you're not going to solve everybody's problems, which I think is a huge misstep at the academies. And then at the academies, we're still teaching the 100-year-old archaic principle of keep personal and professional separate, which is a total impossibility Mm -hmm. that creates issues at home. And I deal with them on that couch every week. But it's, it's time for the public to begin to know and that, that, I wish I'd had a chance to sit in your class. When I, did you start teaching that? Mm, wow. I've been teaching her for about 15 years. It would always be the very last class at the Citizens Academy. And then I would teach for youth groups, uh, church groups, college classes. I taught over at ASU. Good. Um, just to bring the awareness out. Because I would tell you right now, um, I would teach for pre-academy. Mm-hmm. And they stopped me from teaching at pre-academy. Because you ran people off. I ran people off. And because people didn't realize, I'll give a great story. I had a guy in one of my classes who was a dolphin trainer who wanted to become a police officer. <laughs> true story. Wow, that's a stretch. <laughs> wanted to become a police officer. And I talked about the truth behind the badge. Mm-hmm. And he, it, it, the tears will not stop when he left that room. Because I, I, I speak on some very tough issues and when I would teach the kids the kids would be crying their eyes out because they don't I I make them feel what I felt right and if you had an officer sitting here and you asked him if he had PTSD and he said no he'd be lying to you because every police officer has I don't if it might be a smidgen but we all have it somewhere some way way because you can go to the academy and see pictures of dead people all day long it's not a big deal you can watch a movie and and but when you see it in real life and you see the humanity behind it it does something different to you. And yes. I can tell you how many times I pulled over and cried on the side of the road or wanted to quit my job because of what I just witnessed. Yes. Um, and I would guarantee you there are many officers that feel the same way, but some of them won't even tell you because of the stigma behind what it means. And that's what we're trying to change it under the shield is, first, we don't believe in PTSD, meaning disorder of permanency, unless there's physical traumatic injury to the brain. There's psychological traumatic brain injury, but those are things like a broken bone you can heal, right. given the proper treatment. And it's time we remove that stigma, which is why even wordage like mental wellness is better than mental health. Because when people in law enforcement hear mental health, they automatically think of 
the CIT team that comes out and right. deals with the schizophrenics and the bipolars and those things. And so we've got to change the verbiage for people to begin to understand it's okay to have post-traumatic stress. And then you can have post-traumatic stress injury. But at post-traumatic stress, if you can begin to identify it, and that's where I use the psychological garbage can mm-hmm. as the example, we give you the early warning signs. Begin to recognize this early. Let your families learn to recognize this early so we get it before it becomes the injury. Right. And that's that's been a hard, hard thing because I'm fighting a lot of times the mental health world that wants it to be a disorder because that means you got to keep coming back right. every week. And my belief is get you in, get you fixed, and get you out because I've got 12 more wanting to come in behind you. Uh, this thing of, you know, I had somebody in yesterday, and they were talking about they had a friend who had been seeing a counselor for many, many years. And my first thought was, then you probably need a new counselor. Because <laughs> right. right. I don't think you should permanently be in therapy, right. um, especially if it's for the same thing. Um, but it's time for officers to step up and people like yourself to tell these stories, to mm-hmm. talk about the things you saw, how they impacted you. You know, there's training out there dime a dozen to talk about a tactical event or a critical incident or a shooting. And one of the things we've started doing, I take a Phoenix officer with me who's a combat Marine mm-hmm. that I've talked about on the show, and he is retired now. And he was in a shooting. He was shot, and then he shot and killed the guy. And he travels around the country and talks about being broken yeah. and what he's had to do and how he's worked through it. Chris telling his story. Right. You know, these aren't easy stories. Nobody wakes up in the morning and goes, gosh, I can't wait to tell a bunch of police officers how I was broken or suicidal or whatever. But if we don't start to talk about it, we're not going to be able to educate others that when they get to that place, it doesn't mean they're abnormal. Right, right. These are normal things that people have to learn to deal with. And you talked about how you can't separate, you know, oh. work from home, which is absolutely ridiculous. And it got to a point, I believe you were on the call. We were there together at an apartment complex where he had killed his wife. And the then upstairs? Yes. yes. So we were on this call together and I've spoken to you about it where they, you know, put us in a little room and stuff like that. Well, mm-hmm. come to find out when I got back to my phone, which was in my patrol car, had numerous texts from my mother because she memorized my number on my patrol car <laughs> and could see it on the news on this big scene. Oh, so great. now she just spent hours worried about whether or not I was alive. So right. it's not just affecting, and that's kind of what Andy teaches, it's not just the police officer either. Right. It's right. just like right. with Under the Shield, it's the family members and they're the yeah. people that it's see it first. It's a lifestyle. It it, it's it's it everything is, is connected is. in so many ways, but yeah. we're still under the old philosophy of teaching that, no, you just teach the officer. Yeah, you couldn't just tell your mom, like, Hey, I don't talk about work at home, so you're just going to have to... You know, <laughs> no, that they didn't work. <laughs> but I did stop telling her what patrol car I was driving. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the fight now is between his mom and myself yeah. is whenever he gets hurt or something and we both get called right. to the emergency, we want to know who got called first. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, that's probably a weekly or monthly occurrence. It, it, it is pretty regular. <laughs> now we just kind of just assume we're yeah. both going to be called. Uh, and I'm always relieved when she's called before me, yeah. uh, because she should be. But it's we always seem to wind up right. there. I'm starting to think he gets hurt on purpose just for the attention. Uh, he is no. one who is seeking a lot of attention. <laughs> yeah. There's no question. If he can't get hurt, he gets sick, and he has this ailment, and oh, this hurts today. Day and that sixty kind of, of COVID. Thing. <laughs> yeah. 
And, so, and I still think you need the anal swab, but that's no. a whole other conversation <laughs> that we can have on a different podcast. You know, I'd like to add that one of the biggest questions I got during this presentation or at the end of the presentation, because I, I'll be honest, I have tears in my eyes at, at the I'm end sure. of the presentation myself. They asked me, well, how, how do you deal with it? How do you deal with that emotion? And I say, I don't change who I am. Mm-hmm. I, if if I play football with my kids on the weekends, I go play football with the kids. On, if I go home and watch ESPN and pop open a beer and that's who I was before I was a police officer, I don't change that. Yeah, I, I stay on that same path. I don't, I don't, because, because I put on a badge or because I put on a badge and a gun, do I have to be different at work? Yes, I have to. Once you put the uniform on, you do have to be slightly different to deal with the things you deal with. Sure. But then when you take the uniform off, you go back to who you are. But but do you really, in the respect that, did you carry a gun with you off duty? Rarely. Really? Rarely. See, that's Rarely. something we really discourage, well, especially nowadays. Rarely. Oh, I know. Nowadays is definitely... too high risk with ambush. Right. And... No, it's definitely different nowadays. But, but, but I did want to leave what happened or what what i dealt with behind mm-hmm. um i had two small girls mm-hmm. and you know there was times they asked me if i was safe and that's not a conversation i really wanted to have with my kids when they were that young right you know um they knew they mm-hmm. they watched tv shows they 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 knew what went on and stuff sure and um but i went back to my life when I took the uniform off. Mm-hmm. And so often officers don't. Yeah, you have to have a life outside of it. It doesn't mean that it can't get interrupted because of things that happen. Right. You get called back in. And, you know, you, y'all you don't have the luxury of referrals like most professionals do. Right. You know, I laughed about Canada. I actually tried this at one time. Uh, I was good friends with somebody who was very high ranking in the RCMP. And he was telling me, he said, yeah, he said, you know, we're actually... Um, trying to do that if an officer gets um, stops a DUI and just can't make relationships work there, then they can call somebody else to come out. And I thought, and how many people do you have to call out before you right. finally go, enough's enough? And then I never heard any more about it, so I'm not sure that was really attempted. But, <laughs> um, you know, referrals are just not something y'all can do. You have to deal with whatever right. it is that you get involved in or that comes up in your area. Mm-hmm. And I think families have to understand, too, just the fact that the personal and the professional does come together. Right. And I always tell the guys, especially mainly because we're dealing with a male population, but, you know, let your wife decide how much information she wants. There's some of us who want all the details. There are others who don't need to know the blood and gore, and that's fine. But you don't make that decision for them. Let them make it because it's part of being part of the team right because it is a team right. and it's a it's an interesting lifestyle having lived it for 20 years yeah and i laugh and i have even told him in the past we've been divorced since so three and i told him a few years ago we were having a conversation i laughed and i said i don't miss you but i really miss your job because yeah. <laughs> i used to have fun with all the stuff dea right. got into yeah <laughs> I, I think he was a little offended i didn't understand yeah. that <laughs> it's interesting to see how different people achieve that balance because i feel like it's different for everyone yeah i think so i agree like for me when i jumped in to law enforcement i I was all in man like cop 24 7 Mm. right when i go home i'm still a cop dude like yeah and i really didn't understand the concept of balancing out my life Mm -hmm. um and that that clearly caused issues and then i had to come back and find balance but it's 
it's been an interesting journey for me going from no balance to having pretty good balance now and watching other people who had a better mindset. Like, it sounds like maybe you went into it with that mindset. Um, how old were you when you went no, in? No, I, I was so young. I was probably too young. I was literally 21, 21 and a half. So did you start out the same way? Was it like, yeah, dude, I'm excited about being a cop and that's like what I am now? Yeah. Yes and no. Um, I guess my mindset... The funny thing is, what remember what I said as learning how to be a cop? You learn it from TV shows and, and the academy. Through your whole life. So the academy doesn't, you don't get together in the academy and play softball or volleyball. Mm-hmm. Right. It's right. It's, it's you're, you're, you're hounded all the time about, you know, discipline and yes, sir, and no, sir, and this. Um, for, for me, though, I, I kind of grew up that way through sports and stuff. Yes, sir, no, sir. So I was, I was kind of used to that. And then when I, when I leave the academy or, or leave work, um, I would just go back to hanging out with my friends. I didn't hang out with cops. Yeah, I really, I really never did. I mm-hmm. never hung out with cops, and I think honestly that is one thing that kept me on an even keel. Sane. <laughs> yeah, no, to be honest with you, it's yep. true. I mean, I was a cop for twenty-seven years. Mm-hmm. I maybe have four friends from the police department that I can call friends. Obviously, Chris being one of them, but that's it. After twenty-seven years, mm-hmm. and I'm still best friends with the guys I went to high school with. And you're very fortunate in that because there are a lot of situations where people are coming out of neighborhoods and areas that in reality they are shunned once they become a police officer. There are some, And they're cut off from everything they've known and seen as a traitor or whatever, and they have to kind of reinvent themselves all over. Um, That's the interesting part about the academy is seeing, because I've taught in academies all over the country, and in certain areas, you see that and you think, golly, that's somebody that's going to really struggle in the early years mm-hmm. trying to figure out right. who they can be friends with, who they can't, that kind of stuff. And socially, um, we've seen it in our lives because our neighbor builder of our home, and this was in 84, 85, um, turned out to be a major cocaine trafficker. Mm-hmm. And he was our next door neighbor and builder of our home. <laughs> Whoops. Yeah, right. that that almost dinged a career. Sure. And fortunately, we got some heads up on it, so he was able to get out in front of it. Right. But, you know, there's all kinds of things like that, but those are also extremes. Sure. And officers tend to go one way or the other, and it can't be all in. You've got to find the balance, whether it's at church. That's always been a good one for us. Mm-hmm. Um, and just, you know, friends you grew up with that you know. Right who they are, what their background is. It, it's 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 a balance a lot of people have a hard time right. establishing. Yeah, I agree. I can tell Chris has another question, yeah. but I want to right. say... He was flipping through his stuff. I, it, for any officers that are on there... Okay, so let me say it this way from my own perspective. I was so into being a cop when I started that guys like that... I knew guys like that in the academy that were, looking back now, balanced, right? <laughs> But because they had a life outside of the academy and they weren't like just 100% about being a cop, I totally didn't even respect them. Like as I was just like, oh, they're not taking this seriously. They don't care enough. Like that's kind of just how I am though. I dive completely head first into something. (laughs) He does. And become obsessed with it. (laughs) Sure. And I didn't respect that balance. And it's taken me years now to understand that that is super healthy to have a balance. So for anybody new that's coming into it or who's deciding this, or if you've already made it through the academy, you're on FTO, whatever, like just understand that there's, that balance is important. 
and that that's really the healthiest way to have it, right? You, you, maybe you're achieving a lot because you're a hard charger. Right. Like I was doing pretty well my first couple of years and then it kind of caught up with me that this can't be everything, right? right? Uh, it's, it's an important part of who I am, but it can't be everything that you are because right. nothing can really take that. And training needs to, I think, focus more on that because I think we're seeing academies too getting away from what you guys. Right, for sure. You know, now... Uh, depending on who the class sergeant is, they mm. may or may not even have to run. Right. And you go, you know, and then I, one academy I've taught at, and they have added yoga. And I said, okay, that's beneficial, but why, what did you get rid of? Right. I, I want to know what you removed because yoga is something that should be taught the importance of how it can benefit you. I don't know that it needs to be taught in the academy. Mm-hmm. And as I told them, I said, y'all start doing goat yoga in here and I ain't coming <laughs> back. Um, I'm but, on board with both of those. <laughs> I actually did goat yoga out here once, and it was actually kind of fun, except the goats were pregnant, so they were pretty pretty heavy when they'd land on your back and dig the hooves into their shoulder blades. Wow. What There's is your goat life? yoga here in Gilbert. Yeah. Yeah. What is, what is, what is I, your life? Uh, I have no idea. <laughs> Come on, guys. I can't talk about things that I've never experienced. So I said I did it once. One of the things that he teaches on is, and it's all related to this, is he holds up the shroud. Right. Mm-hmm. And right. it's that darn shroud that we have to put on. And for people that aren't law enforcement that are mm-hmm. listening, you, you don't know what it's like. You know, what I was looking up on my phone is a Facebook. So I'm a member of Cops for Christ on Facebook. Mm-hmm. And there was a Massachusetts police officer that was involved with a very bad head-on collision and fighting for his life today. And how it affects. So me going to bed last night, I said prayers for an officer. I don't even know. Sure. But putting on that darn shroud, you know, you, I think Andy teaches it where you put it on the shelf. Well, obviously, and, and here's, the, here's the tough part about law enforcement. We, we, we're all given shrouds at one point. Yep. Whether it's, hey, you may need this sometime. Yes. Or uh, we need it, put it on this week now. because of, right? And But the thing is, we eventually get to take it off. Mm-hmm. But we put it on the shelf and we don't know if we're going to wear it again for one of our friends, um, somebody on our squad, somebody, in another agency, but we do know we will wear it again. It's not if, and but that's, when. It's, it's when, and that is really tough to do, to put it away knowing. And Chris will tell you, being part of the Explore program, we were part of almost every officer's funeral in the Valley because we ran traffic control for uh. all the funerals wow and that was really tough it was tough mm-hmm. on the kids now they're young and they're learning young but but they understood it's they, not a bad they, thing they, they really understood and, and they felt pride yes they, they were able to help the families have a peaceful ceremony and not have to worry about parking or anything like that so the kids had a sense of pride in helping out when it came time due and I you think know. that's important for kids to learn yeah. that. Like I said, you know, as as a parent, you never want your kid to hurt or grieve or anything, but that's part of life. Part of life. And to me, it's all about being a part of something bigger than yourself. Right. You know, that's one of the reasons my son went in the Marine Corps. When I asked him point blank, why are you doing this? And he said, I want to be a part of something bigger than myself. Right. And to me, that's what the explorers were doing. Yep. In a difficult situation, but finding a way to see the positive in their role yeah. in what they were doing. That's outstanding. As we wrap it up here or get close to wrapping it up, um, we've talked about it before and Andy hit on some pretty awesome topics to where 
retirement and yes. on. Okay, so <laughs> a lot of men and women die at a very... Within five years of retirement. Five years of retirement. Mm-hmm. Not comparing retirement, but I've been off for 60 days now. And it's and driving you and me it's crazy. been tough. <laughs> How do you... It sounds like you were well-rounded to begin with, so it might have been a little bit easier for you, but for the people that are listening... <clears throat> How do you not lose that sense of worth, you know, once you're no longer oh, putting it, on the badge? It was kind of tough at first, especially obviously COVID. Well, no, not not necessarily COVID, but as soon as all the riots are starting everywhere, you know. The, yes. That, I I told myself, oh, if they call, oh, yeah, I'll go back. And then mm-hmm. obviously my family said, no, you won't. <laughs> <laughs> no, you won't. And so that that was tough. I'm like, you, you have that sense of camaraderie still where you, you want to be able to help. And then you have to seriously sit back and go, I did my time. Mm-hmm. I gave the I gave my city or my county or wherever you're at. I gave it to my all. Mm-hmm. It's time to retire. It's something I did. Time to put it behind me and move on to a different life, no matter what it is. Um, there's nothing to look back on because you did everything you could throughout the years. You've helped as many people as you could, um, and there's nothing that changes the past of where you're at. Sure. Um, but whether you put 20 in, you put 30 in, you put 40 in, nothing's going to change what you did, you know, two minutes ago. So it doesn't matter. You have to put the time you put in and say, thank God I've made it this far mm-hmm. and I'm healthy and find a new life and enjoy life at that point. Sure. Find a way to enjoy every single day because every single day after that's a blessing. One of the things I teach new recruits, and I try to in in-service when there's time at the end, is that you have to set your goals and objectives in this career. And I ask them, you know, what's your objective? And your objective every day is to go home. And then I say, what, what are the goals? And they kind of look at me like, I don't know. And I go, your goal in this career should be to help one person. And I said, and everybody in the room has far exceeded that one. But you don't realize how far reaching that one can be. And you have to find one because otherwise it you know, the deaths and the things that y'all feel responsible for because I was a cop and I should have been able to prevent. Those are the things we see it under the shield. It's not necessarily shooting and killing somebody that shot them or shot somebody else. Right. It's the innocent person that got hurt. And I always share the story. I, this actually came to me from an FBI agent when I taught up at Quantico the first time years ago. And he made me promise to share it with every class I ever taught. And I try to do it every time because I think it is very important But it talks about how far-reaching one person can be. And the story goes that there's a man who's out working in his fields, and he hears a little boy cry for help. And he goes and he saves the little boy's life. And the little boy goes home and tells his rich dad what the farmer did. And the rich dad comes back and wants to pay the farmer. The farmer says, absolutely not. It was my duty as a Christian. I have a son the same age. I was honored to save your child. And the rich man says, well, let me pay for your son to have the equivalent education of mine. And the farmer agreed. And the story goes that the um, rich man's son grew up, contracted a disease. And the farmer's son grew up and was one of the men who perfected penicillin, which wound up saving Mm -hmm. the rich man's son's life. And he grew up to be known as Winston Churchill. Wow. And I said, it's one person. Right. You, You know, it's that pay it forward concept and I said when officers can't even identify the one that that's the one thing I try to help them with in here because when that one person I give them the example if you stop a car for drunk driving and the guy's blown away drunk and you get him back to headquarters and he starts crying and says man you don't understand my two-year-old just got diagnosed with cancer 
And you look, he has no history. He's a good guy. He's just distraught. But you're going to do your job because in taking him off the road, what did you probably prevent? Save somebody's life down the road. And I said, let's say we have a crystal ball and we can see he would have gone down the road and killed an innocent family of five. And in the back seat is a three-year-old who might be the person who grows up to find the cure for cancer. Mm -hmm. You'll never know that. So we have to identify the things we can where you met, because every one of you can tell me, hundreds of stories where you made a difference. Right. If you really stop and look at it. Absolutely. That's when this job will eat you alive is when you don't identify those things where you made a difference and you have no idea how far reaching those people are and the differences they've made in people's lives and how it goes on. That's what it comes down to. Yeah, I, th- I think that that makes a lot of sense. Talking to people that we talk to, the struggle that they have is that they no longer see the good they're doing. They feel like they're struggling in succeeding in, with their marriage or with work or right. whatever. They, they fail to see the changes that they're making. They feel stuck. And that's why we want them at Under the Shield of Stress Coaches. The retirees are the ones, I hate using the word target in this right. population, <laughs> um, but it's the retirees that we really want because you're the most valuable commodity and we let you walk away with all this experience. Right. And think about the the person that I might not be able to reach, but you could, or Chris could, or Ace could. Right. Um, those are the ones that that I want. That's who I want in this over here working with us, because you can do it by phone. I don't care if you're sitting on the beach of Belize. You can do it <laughs> right. by phone or internet. Right. But I have to ask you one question. Sure. So if you're you're retired now, and let's say you got a job, because I asked a deputy this the other day, and you get a job in Home Depot. And there's an active shooter in there. How are you going to respond? Well, am I armed? I don't know. Are you? I, 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 <laughs> that, that's my whole, that's part of my question. Are you? I would, I would respond just like I would as a cop. Yep. Okay. I would. That's exactly I, I what agree. I would do. And I think, I don't think you could live with yourself doing any less. I, I think if there's any situation in the world after retirement, you're going to respond to it just like you would as a police officer. I, regardless, I mean, you still have it in you. I You've agree. been trained and that's what you're trained I for. Agree. And, and you still have it. And it's not something, it's not, it's, it's kind of like training through law enforcement. You train to shoot, you train to shoot. The situation comes, you don't even know you put your gun in your hand. Why? Yes. Because it's repetitive. Absolutely. And if something happens and you're trained to deal with it, you're going to deal with it regardless. And and I guess I wanted to hear you say that because I think there are a lot of officers that are very disgruntled right now getting close to retirement, Mm -hmm. and they're thinking, I'm walking away from this. But they have to realize how it can affect them even once they leave, that 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 training and stuff is still ingrained in them. Right. And if they think they're just going to walk away and something happened and they're never going to get involved, they're setting themselves up probably for... A pretty bad situation well i'll say this based on the fact that i talk about being stronger tomorrow being in law enforcement for as long as i have and that goes for anybody in this room that's been in law enforcement you are stronger tomorrow for what you've done absolutely and it will carry over into retirement yes um and you will be stronger for it for the job that you put in for the time for the mental health um and you will be a better person once you retire but you have to let yourself be a better person you can't let Whatever happened in the past of law enforcement bring you down. Absolutely. You have to take it, embrace it, and be stronger from it. And let's empty the garbage can and move on. Right. It's not up yet, but what's your website? StrongerTomorrow.com. And you are you're got a clothing line the, that the, I want you the, to talk about. The idea behind it is um, 
you know, we all need to find a way to be stronger tomorrow. We do. Mm-hmm. And whether it's motivation, whether it's fitness, reading a book, I, I put together a motivational fitness clothing uh, line um, called Stronger Tomorrow. And it's basically designed to remind you um, to be stronger. Some of the shirts, shirts say um, um, dedicated, disciplined, uh, determined. Um, so that somebody's walking behind you or in front of you reads that, they know that you're you're disciplined, you're dedicated, and you're determined to do whatever it takes to be a better person nice. and to become stronger tomorrow. Um, one says focused on me because in order to get better, we have to focus on ourselves. Sure. You know, we can't focus on some of the, the negative around us. Anyway, that the whole idea behind it is to become stronger tomorrow. And I like the focused on me because the bottom line is, is if you don't take care of you, there's nothing right. left to give there is to not. your family and to everything else that goes on in your life. And Absolutely. you have to do that. Absolutely. So we'll add that. Let's make sure we add that um, website that it'll be up and running in two weeks. Uh, two weeks. And that's where the clothing line will clothing, be? Clothing, motivation, blog, uh, and videos based on motivation and how to become stronger. Okay. Let's, we'll get that added to okay. um, on the, the site so it'll that people can go to it. Yes. Perfect. Absolutely. Thank you. Can't thank you enough for coming yeah. on. I hope you'll come back. Yeah, it was awesome. I appreciate it. Great. Yeah, We'd love you. to have you again. and. Yeah. Any wrap-up words from you there, Mr. Chris? I want a Dr. Pepper. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to have to hypnotize the man to get rid of his cravings. Anything on on your end? (laughs) On that terrible disappointment. (laughs) But we just appreciate everybody that's out there listening. Please share this podcast. We're now on iTunes, if you're listening to us on Spotify or SoundCloud. We are. Right? Mm -hmm. Those three working on some other stuff. iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud. Yes. And um, we just appreciate all the sacrifices that our law enforcement officers and their families make. I thank all you guys. And we actually have the wife of a Phoenix officer, retired officer, I'm happy to say. I know she is in here also. But the sacrifices that are made, we need to say thank you more for that. Yes. And uh, God bless everybody out there listening. And we love you and hope you'll stay tuned for next week.